Dude, we are going to energize the country. Stop Brexit. No more Mr. Nice Guy. Seamus and Notch is a great idea. Hello and welcome to the Debated Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Will. And in this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Tom Blenkinsop, who is the former Labour Member of Parliament for Middlesbrough South. Welcome to the podcast, Tom. Hi, Will. Um, So to begin with, I'd uh, first of all like to ask, what was your reaction to the exit poll? Um, what do you think was the the main reason behind the result? Do you think it was the, the leadership Brexit, a, a combination of the two or, or what? Of other issues just made it toxic for any canvasser on the doorstep. 
Mm, uh, yeah, I, I think that's something that a lot of people um, would agree with. Looking at the um, potential successors to Corbyn, um, what, what do you think of the uh, leadership candidates as they stand? Is there a particular candidate that you think stands out as potential uh, Labour leader material or potential prime ministerial material? What are your thoughts on the, the leadership candidates? Um, regarding Keir Starmer, do you think that it is um, perhaps worrying that whilst he was in the shadow cabinet, he was perhaps not as vocal on the issue of anti-Semitism as he could have been? Or do you think that that was just something that went with being a part of the shadow cabinet? What, what are your thoughts on that? Chuck 
moralistic position to back at them because mm, if you really yeah. want to be 100% moral on it, you shouldn't have stood at all while he was leader, in my opinion, because I've made it very clear in previous articles and statements and in social media that I think Corbyn's tenure um, invited, um, encouraged that type of um, anti-Semitic behaviour to, to come on board because it came from fringe the left, which were never part of the living room. Be that as it may, in terms of Kia, um, I think the proof will be in the pudding once it comes leader. Because whilst Corbyn was leader with his entourage around him, it was almost impossible for anybody within the shadow cabinet to form a policy because as soon as he went through Lotto, it was blocked. Mm. Um, and coming towards the end, and then Kia, as others will have known that, you know, in the last six months, especially when Corbyn was pressing for a general election, he was certain to lose. Um, Um, and you mentioned uh, Corbyn's entourage there, and a lot of uh, people who've been associated with Jeremy Corbyn, like Aaron Bastani, Ash Sarkar, Rachel Cousins, better known as Rachel Swindon, um, have perhaps not been as helpful to the Labour Party as they might think they are. What sort of role do you think that they will have in the future? Do you think that they will in any way still be associated with the leadership of the Labour Party or or do you think that they're going to fade in significance? They should have no role at all. Um, I mean, a lot of these people are basically grifters and carpetbaggers who've used the Corbyn period to um, elevate themselves to some self-appointed position which they've neither been elected to nor warrant any academic credentials for being at.
Do you think that um, groups that, again, have been associated with Corbyn-like momentum should be removed from the Labour Party? Um, just going back to the election result for a moment, of course you didn't uh, stand in this election or in 2017, but when you were a member of parliament, your seat was very much a, a rock-solid uh, Labour seat and it now has uh, a Conservative MP and it has since uh, 2017. H- how do you feel about that? Now an 11,500 Tory majority. 
Um, what? <laughs> Is Looking at the um, current election result, um, what do you think of some of the uh, members of parliament who have been elected for the Labour Party, who are very much in the uh, sort of the, the Corbyn camp, people like Sam Tarry, Zara Sultana? What, what do you think of them as members of parliament, just on what you've, you've seen uh, so far? Bristol, 
for a major city in accommodation, I'd be worried because uh, looking at their seats, they lost majorities quite heavily. Uh, they were walking in the seats in uh, Coventry, which had several thousand in terms of majority, which now only has 400 and thousand pounds. If she persists with the same message, she won't be there very long. Um, they'll be in for a very rude awakening. I just think there's a real naive, it's a combination of an arrogance of naivety mixed with the arrogance of an ideological position, uh, much the same way, that, which, which informs everything. And if you just, if you ignore all empirical, empirical evidence which is telling you there's a problem, because you're just driven with an ideological view, and you're going to come a cropper. You really, really are. You've got to be fleet of foot as a politician and be able to react to things, but also use your judgment. Ultimately, people want MPs to go in there and use their judgment. You're paid a very good salary because of your judgment, not because of your adherence to a dogma. And, um, if, you know, if you have a situation where Rebecca Long Bailey is the leader, um, you, you, that type of policy is allowed to continue proliferating the Labour Party. It could drive the Labour Party to get in terms of parliamentary representation not seen before, not seen since probably 1931. Um, just going on to um, when you were a member of Parliament, you were a member of the uh, Environment Select Committee and then the Energy and Climate Change Committee. What are your thoughts about current uh, climate change and environment policy? Do you think it goes far enough? Does it not go far enough? What are your thoughts on it? Well, at the last Empire conference, myself and Ed Miliband had a debate um, on this issue for Labour students in relation to our takes on policy. Um, what tends to happen in, in climate change debate is that, that legislation is proposed or mechanisms proposed for legislative reasons which are then put down and then seen as levers which suddenly have magical powers to be applied to the economy and change things radically and quickly.
in a situation where we're also leaving the European Union and the amount of skilled labour within the UK economy is going to reduce rapidly uh, or the flexibility of it is going to be uh, curtailed quite significantly and we're not investing in the skills required to deliver um, that type of capacity issue. So I just think there's a lot of amateurism. There's no real profound hard work that say went into the creation of the national grid or, or other such programs and there isn't the experience. Furthermore, I also think given the nature of the civil service where you have a constant turnover of staff within departments coming from mainly non-scientific degrees from Oxbridge isn't necessarily the background of, of, of a body of people that you want to draw on if you're suddenly going to go into this very techy, technocratic program of delivering solutions for um, climate change. So I just think there's a lot of campaigning, but not enough governing <laughs> going on, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, rega- regarding the civil service, what do you think of um, Dominic Cummings' uh, blog post that he wrote a couple of weeks back in which he said that he wanted people joining um, the team within 10 Downing Street to be misfits and weirdos and not to necessarily come from a an Oxbridge background? Do you think that he might be able to change the way that government works and to, to, to shake up the civil service? Or do you think that what he's just saying is just hollow words. I have some sympathy with part of what in terms of opening up the civil service. But he also remarked about how they were going to be treated and some of the criteria by which they'd be treated wouldn't be employment um, law. Mm, yeah. uh, <laughs> I just, you know, there's ways of doing things. I think the fact that he himself is a weirdo doesn't necessarily lend itself to getting people in that might actually have practical solutions. And in terms of opening up the Whitehall to technocratic solutions, that has always been an issue, especially coming from my background in terms of the former APPG chair on steel, trying to pin civil servants down to get a consistency of approach to the issue was quite difficult. So we got there more recently, but um, it was a bane of our land. We deal with one civil servant, and two years later they'd be moved to another department. And you have to start right from the very beginning to explain the situation rather than people coming turning up to the job with the same prevailing narratives, which is that the steel industry is basket case. He's trying to explain to people or re-explain to people from the beginning how we got to where we are now and what we need to do to move on. And that was highly frustrating to a certain extent. So what would probably be better is more technocratic skills, so um, more... Um, in positions where people can stay longer and gain a greater depth of expertise in a department, perhaps. But another civil service has its own ways that you can't stop people from moving on to other, you know, career progression in other departments. But it is highly frustrating. Um, just moving back to the uh, the Labour Party for a moment, there's been um, a certain amount of. Uh, dismay at uh, Paul Mason who has made uh, certain remarks about um, abortion law in relation to uh, Rebecca Long Bailey and uh, remark that seemed to be anti-Catholic in its nature. Do you think that this is something that is going to be a problem throughout the uh, leadership campaign, people making uh, remarks and comments that are perhaps not 
fully um, uh, all right or, 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 or negative in their nature? The, the, the comment he made was that he didn't want um, abortion legislation to be controlled from the Vatican, so, you know, quite um, uh, anti, anti-Catholic in its, um, in its nature. Paul's famous for making friends. <laughs> <laughs> um, moving um, just again uh, briefly back to um, anti-Semitism, I wondered... Uh, what sort of anti-Semitism have you personally witnessed in the Labour Party? Um, well, fortunately, when I, when the last Labour Party meeting I officially attended at local levels in 2016, when uh, going slightly off topic, since when I was an MP, I was addressing a GC in relation to an individual member who had threatened to assault me, and members there defended that member over me. So I said, well. See you later. You won't see me anymore. Um, I wasn't prepared to sit in the room with people who were quite happy to see me assaulted. So that was the, that's the culture that was allowed to prevail under the leadership. So it is absolutely no surprise that all sorts of nastiness suddenly started getting um, embroiled in meetings at local Labour Party meetings as well as national or regional Labour Party meetings. Uh, most of the anti-Semitism that I had seen uh, was online, including one a bit by one of my own members who I shopped to the party again back in 2016. Um, he was actually covered in the Sunday Times. He had a picture of the uh, Statue of Liberty with a sort of alien creature on its face with mm. a star of David on it. Uh, and he thought this was acceptable. Uh, I didn't. And I said, this is anti-Semitism. And I would... Um, um, appreciate you. I, I appreciate the party to investigate him because I think this is anti-Semitic, and the jury did, and he resigned before he was kicked out. So uh, I've seen it at the COP level, but it's mainly online 
some of it is beyond the pale. It's been allowed to go on and on and on. And obviously with the Sunday time revelation in terms of the party, basically um, protecting these people uh, to such an extent that where they were issuing death threats against my former colleagues, the party weren't even warning parliamentary colleagues that they were having death threats issued against them by these people. You know, it's bad. And I, I think the HRT report is going to be very damning. I think the whistleblowers, the party members of staff, who are trying to get to dealt with, whilst being frustrated by the likes of Jenny Formby, Karen Murphy, Seamus Mill, to name but a few names, Thomas Gardner, for example, um, they will be vindicated, I think, because um, this isn't going to go away. <coughs> and the Jewish community are rightly appalled. Um, and as a party, we've completely let them down. And it was, and, 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 you know, it took a lot of courage for people to come forward and um, do the right thing, but there was no other way. I, I, you know, as, a, as a Labour member, I, if you're anti-racist, which I am, there is no other way but to call it out. There is no other way but to say this is happening and these people need to be dealt with. Every other excuse or reason given, which isn't, they have to be dealt with, i.e. expelled and, and given to the police, is not, is, is just not acceptable. Um, uh, it's as simple as that, really. It's not a complicated issue for me. <laughs> and, um, and I think a lot of people are going to reap um, what they've sown in terms of either promoting this, allowing it, or facilitating it. And I look at the prime culprits and I look at the entryism of the hard left as of 2015, people who were formerly in SWP, left unity, respect, and other hard left organisations which have a history of this, uh, entering our rank and file and being allowed to. Um, and all of them, pretty much some man and woman, but for Jeremy Corbyn. And, um, and that will be his legacy um, in terms of party history. So I think um, when the HRC report comes out this year, I think uh, it will be brutal, damning, necessary, but also highly useful for getting rid of uh, some of the toxic elements which have been allowed to enter our party. Um, we're coming to the end of the podcast. It's been great to have you on, uh, Tom. Thank you uh, for being on. I'd just like to ask you one final question. Uh, it's a new year, it's a new decade. Uh, what New Year resolutions have you got or have? New Year resolutions? Oh. <laughs> well, um, to stop having the occasional cigarette when I have too much to drink. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm terrible for that. It always happens. Um, I have cut down quite a bit, but, you know, on those vices, it's hard to kick, but I have, you know, touch wood so far, I'm, I'm I wouldn't be Tom Blankensop unless I wouldn't be me unless I, I was that 
Uh, well, I think that is uh, a New Year's resolution that a lot of people will uh, perhaps be adhering to in the <laughs> in the next few months. <laughs> Well, uh, thank you for coming on the podcast, Tom. It's been great speaking to you. Cheers, Will. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Don't forget that you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean or YouTube. You can follow us at Debated Podcast on Twitter, like us, Debated Podcast on Facebook. And if you want to email us, either about appearing or making a comment or reaction to the episode you've heard, or any other episodes, then email us, thedebatedpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. I hope you listen to the next one.